things to praise him for. Praise the Lord Jesus. God bless you. It's good to see you tonight. Good to be home. I preached in a lot of places around the world, but I don't know of any place I'd rather preach than right here. Ain't no place like home. I preached to bigger crowds. I preached to people sometimes that was uh, pulled a little more than sometimes you happy valiants do. Because I get common to you and you just kind of sit there and look at me and nod. And... But still, I'd rather be here than anywhere else I know of. So I hope the Lord let us stay that way. We just one day, we just fly out of here, get to go home. Amen. God bless you. Certainly appreciate all of those that come up to the meetings and Brother Ron's. I know you were greatly blessed there. Brother Wayne, Brother Tim did a great job. It certainly certainly was a blessing to see those of you that were there. Appreciate Brother Joe and Brother Terry taking the service this year while we were gone. Amen. Let's turn tonight, if you would, to St. John chapter 17, verse 16. We've been speaking about the church. The church is a wonderful thing of God, and it? it's a great it's a great heart, heart's desire from the Almighty to be able to have a people that he could indwell, That's right. a people that he would leave two-thirds of them unredeemed. It would be a challenge for them every day of their life. He knew the end time would become so black and dark, he allowed Brother Branham to see up to 1977, and he could not even see past that. So I want you to think now, since 1977 to the year of 2019, we've been living in such darkness that the prophet couldn't even see past where it went. This is why he thought, predicted, that the coming of the Lord would be by 1977. And the Lord didn't tell him no different. <clears throat> but think, here you are living in that time frame 
where all that darkness, it's congealed so thick and so dark around us every day of our lives. And yet God has kept us by His grace. The prayer of our Lord Jesus again, St. John seventeen sixteen. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your precious words. Lord Jesus, I ask tonight that you would help us as we look into the word of life, Father, that you would quicken our understanding. And we know that anyone who would be able to read, even an agnostic or an infidel, would be able to read these scriptures that I just read a teacher, a theologian, someone, Lord, who would have much greater ability to be able to explain the nouns and pronouns and adjectives and adverbs and so on than we would. But yet, Father, it's not those type of people that the Word is made real to. It's those who have received the nature of the author himself. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight. It takes that kind of an anointed speaker to be able to take the word and be able to make it alive to the saints. Then it will take those type of people who've been quickened by the life of God to be able to receive it and become understanding. So we ask for that tonight. May this not be a Wednesday night that we just learn some more things. Now we do want to do that. But yet, Father, we don't want it just to be an intellectual learning service. But we ask you, quicken it to us, Lord. Make it real to our hearts, Father. May we learn by the examples that have been written for us, Lord. May we be teachable in our spirit, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Let's read again, if you would, the verse that we'd read last Wednesday night. To me, it's so profound. The Lord Jesus establishing in the New Testament church in Chapter 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me. And the word believe is pistis, which is to be able to have faith. It's the same word that is used, whether it's physical or spiritual or mental, psychological, whatever you have need of. But it is believing on me through their logos. And logos, of course, was used by a Greek a speaker way before Paul actually and John ever uh, coined the term or used the term coin by this Greek man. He was a very uh, smart man, brilliant man of the day. And he chose this word logos so it was not just a religious word, but it was a word that was common among the people by the time John and Paul began to write. And it means saying or it means a mandate of the day. It means something that is given as an order. It is something which is given as a supreme order from a head. So the Lord Jesus is here saying that the apostles are going to have logos or mandate 
or sayings given to them from the Almighty, and by saints of God or sinners, as it was, hearing them initially, they would actually become converted as they heard the Logos from these men's lips. Now, we know that God divides His Word and He puts it in two parts, and that is rhema words and logos words. A sinner does not have the ability, not being quickened, of course, by the new birth to be able to understand, comprehend, digest, be revelated by rhema words. But a sinner can hear logos words as the devil can hear logos words. We can quote logos words. Only the Spirit of God can take logos words quickly them to our hearts and transform them into rhema words, which is a rhema word which is quickened for you in the season that you need it. This word, of course, is used all through the New Testament. And Jesus says that he's praying for those that will hear and will actually believe through the words of the apostles. Now, it's amazing that the Lord Jesus is not jealous at all. The Lord Jesus has no problem at all in being able to share this divinity which would become by the Word. And there is a divinity which comes by being an anointed vessel which handles the Word of God in first person. You see, whenever many handle the Word and they quote the Word, they're saying it in the third person of one which has learned it, memorized it, and they've taken it into their human part and they think by saying it over and over again that will it impart something and it does it doesn't impart a mental knowledge of that word but only a person can say it in the first person when they become anointed by the Lord Jesus himself then it's his own life which is taking that word and it moves beyond that human individual though taking their voice box their larynx and being able to take their lungs and breathe a breath and as they speak it somehow it transcends mortality and it moves beyond just that human being saying it and it becomes so fortified by the voice of the supernatural behind that voice that it's a voice behind the voice then the elect of God hear it as that and it's actually able to transform them and change them. Others can say the exact same words, frame the same words, maybe even say it in a more proper way, say it in a way that would be even more well pronounced and yet not do anything at all. Satan can quote that word, it'll never create, it'll never add life to anyone. A son or daughter of God that's not near the theologian that the devil is can take that word quickened by the Spirit of God and speak to their body cancer be there speak by the word of life and speak that cancer right out of their body praise the Lord is that right yeah that's right now notice him the Lord Jesus does not consider it a threat that he is going to empower these apostles with the dunamis of God this is what the scripture tells us in Acts 1 and 8 you shall receive power dunamis after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you so it is not just something given to them by authority which they had already received by the word excusia excusia being the word by which it 
it was uh, an authority given to them by word form. So he said, go do this in my name, go do that, go do that, go do that. That is an excuse authority, but Jesus said you're going to get more than that. You're going to receive dunamis. Now the word dunamis is from the word, of course, where we get our word, English word dynamite, but the word dunamis is something that happens from within the individual. It's something that is transformed within them, and it becomes an inherent nature. So it's not just authority given to them by which they speak on behalf of another person, but that person now has deposited inside of them an inherent nature, and they are speaking from within a miraculous thing that has happened from within themselves. That's the difference between a theologian and a God-called preacher. A theologian speaks because of the excuse of God. He has the authority to baptize, authority to preach, authority to do this and that. A servant of God that's called by God receives it also by excuse. But he receives it because he was baptized into dynamite. So he can speak the word. He can lay hands on folks. And if they could x-ray it, you'd see light, rays of light coming out of his hands. Why? Because he has an inherent nature. That's what every child of God must have. And the Lord Jesus this was not at all that he was going to feel threatened by the apostles having this because he knew this is the way the kingdom of God must be established. He knew that Satan would start a counterfeit sometime after the new church started that Satan would start a counterfeit he'd call it the same thing he would call it church as well but the Lord Jesus knew that initially they would start out looking like them talking like them actually receiving the same book so they would hear the book of Colossians they'd receive the book that was written to the church in Laodicea they would take the book of Revelation and they would go that way for a long time to establish themselves as if though they were just sisters of another branch of that same move. Now it would take a long time before they would come into the deceptive stage before they would start killing it took some hundreds of years before they would rise there. But initially they would raise up in the twin from the womb of the message of that day they would look like them believers they would act like them believers, they would would talk like them believers that quote Paul, quote James, quote Jude, quote Peter, and they would look just like them for a long time. Now they do that because of deceit. Once they become established, then they can break away, start looking different, acting different, talking different, and you know what? They no longer need to really validate that they are like the others. Now they say, well, we're different than them, you know, we don't go that way no more, so we're a different breed. Amen to that. I agree totally. You're a hybrid is what you are. So the Lord Jesus knew the only way for the real church to be spiritually propagated was for the body, which is the mystical body, to be the very bearers of life themselves. Now knowing that every predestinated seed would have a deposit of God placed inside of them when they took the breath of life, but it would be laying there dormant, it could lay there for decades, it could lay there forever so long, and they would never be quickened, and they would have a longing for God, a yearning for God, but it could never quicken. And then God would have a counterpart of that on the earth which would be God called ministry and God called people that are baptized into the body. Now they would be the ones that would have Zoe inside of their own being and they would pack the Logos as well but it would be Logos quicken which is actually transferred into Rhema words. And then when they become quickened they become bearers of the life they are now part of this body. And the prophet tells us spoken words of regional 
believe that life can only come through the body. So here is the Ethiopian eunuch going down to the desert and he's reading the prophet's books. He's reading the prophet's books and the prophet's quotes, but he did not understand. He did not understand. Is the prophet talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? And the Holy Ghost had moved upon a member of the body, which had been quickened by eternal life. And he sends him down there, my, my, down there in that desert. And when he comes down, he said, join yourself to that man. When he goes over there, he said, what are you reading? He said, well, I'm reading here about what the prophet said. But he said, is the prophet speaking about himself? Or is he speaking about another? I, I just don't understand and the Bible says that he began with that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus Christ so now here was the Ethiopian eunuch which had a seed of God in him an attribute of God but just reading the prophet's books never quickened to him what he needed to have a new birth that's right why because the book itself was not packing life well, hallelujah, the Bible itself, the, the Bible tells us itself, the letter killer, but the Spirit makes alive the Word itself. Oh, you think the Word is alive. It is not. The prophet tells us it is a dead letter, but it takes the Holy Ghost to fall upon that Word, then it quickens the Word. Now, here comes a man then with Zoe, eternal life living inside of him. He is the bearer of the life of God. So it comes to you. Understand what you read? Well, how can I? except some man teach me but he didn't just have an ordinary man that he was talking to he had a man which had been quickened himself and this man now had logos but he also had rhema words now God is going to take that man gifted by the Holy Ghost and through the body he is going to be able to impart life into this man which is also a predestined seed and the church said oh my aren't you glad God sends somebody you away one day Amen. I thank God for the books and I thank God for the tapes. But friend, you have never picked up one of Brandon Bram's books which has eternal life. Your Bible laying beside you tonight or on your phone or your tablet, whatever it is, that Bible does not have eternal life. The pages itself I'm talking about. Eternal life is a person, not a page. Eternal life is a person, not a diphthong. It is not a Greek word, a Hebrew word, an English word it is a person and that person is the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus gave his life to his body in order to propagate births then for thousands of years he knew Satan would run right down through the church ages and have a twin and every message that he would send under those vindicated men but he would be able to separate his by what by life by life and by fatherhood amen now a same woman might be able to to give birth to twins and one of them be a white man be the father of one of them and a black man be the father of another or a white man and a Chinese or an Indian is that right or whatever more and God was typifying every church age every message that he would send and giving the woman the capability of bringing twins and it would be the same mother but different fathers Hey, let me tell you something. Our mother, the message of the hour, has given birth to twins as well. I know we don't like to hear it and we don't like to think it, but it's the truth. This move has given birth to twins. They look like us. They talk like us. They quote the prophet. They listen to tapes. Come on, saints. But what's the difference? Different fathers. 
Same mother, same movement, but different mothers. Is that what he tells us prior to transformation? Same movement, same mother, but different fathers. That's right. So the Lord Jesus knows in order to spiritually propagate this church that the real true body of God, Christ, must have the life of the Messiah itself inside of them. Now, he, he typed this, of course, in shadow by the Old Testament coming out. We know that the prophet tells us in 1950 uh, that the, the children of God, the people of Israel, they were the people of God while they were in the land of Egypt. But once they come out of the land of Egypt in the Exodus, they then they became the church of God. Now notice, then church means called out. So they were the people of God when they were there and when God called them out, they become the church of God. Now it was not really under the status of being the people of God that they begin to have so many religious problems. It's when they come out. Now their problems were of course under taskmasters and they were beat, but it was more natural earthly carnal problems. But once they become the church of the living God, then they started running in to all kinds of spiritual situations, all types of spiritual problems that they never even dealt with before when they were in the land of Egypt. And in some ways it must have been very confusing because they're thinking, my, we left Egypt behind and we're not being beat anymore and we're not dealing with those issues, but we never had dates and problems back there, Korah problems and the Balaam problems. Look, all these problems have just started on us since we've become the church. Well, some of y'all had real major problems when you was out there in the world. You got a bad dose of whiskey, and, and you'd, have, you'd, you'd buy a marijuana cigarette. Man, you got a bad one one night, and it made you sick as a dog. And, and some of you run off the road, and you wrecked three cars because you was drunk. I mean, you had all kinds of things you dealt with, but you know you never really thought about it in a religious way. But when you come out of the world, and you come into Christ Jesus and get saved, then all of a sudden your problems change. Is that right? Then you come in and say, well, so-and-so in church don't like me. And I don't understand why they're doing this in church and that doing church. Well, it shows that you have left Egypt and you've come into the promised land, your promised land, the Word, and now you're facing problems that are so unlike anything you ever dealt with before. And if you thought you were coming to a picnic, oh my, I'd say it didn't take you long to wake up and realize, did you? You realize this was not about coleslaw and potato salad and hot dogs and hamburgers. This is not about basketball and soccer and baseball. Praise God. This is about survival, my brother system. This is about living in the darkest age that's ever been on the earth, but by the grace of God, being an overcomer right in the middle of hell. Amen. How many glad you're an overcomer tonight? Now what? So whenever we come back to our setting of Dathan, Korah, and Abiram, and on, and the elders, the 250 elders that are raising up against Moses, it shouldn't be a peculiar thing then that we see in the church as it comes into the state of the church in the wilderness, as Brother Branham called it in 1947, that the people of Israel became the church of the living God. So Satan then changes his tactics. He's no longer dealing with them as he did down the land of Egypt to make them idolaters and worshipers of sin. It's 
Asian was one of the gods of Egypt, of course, and to make them worshipers of the idol, idols that was there. But now he's moving in a different way. So no matter how he moves, he's always got instruments by which he can move through. And the most effective ones are generally human beings. Amen. And whatever they come out, what do they find themselves running into? Well, they find, you know, so many different instances, but when they come into this stage of the journey, then we see Dathan, Korah, Abiram, on all these other men that are raising up and they're questioning the authority of Moses and of Aaron. Why? Because they have an agenda themselves that they want to become something. Now as we looked at that, part of these men are the inhabitants or the people rather of Reuben and part of them are the people of the Kohathites which were furniture movers of the house of God and they had got stepped over by God and God had chosen one tribe out of all the rest and then God narrowed it down out of that tribe down to this family and narrowed it on down to that family and God kept selecting, selecting, selecting selecting, selecting, until he chose Levi, then out of there he chose a certain son, out of there he chose a certain son, and then he put his approval upon these particular ones. God can never raise certain ones up without passing others over, and that's what causes the problems. Well, amen. Now, let's look at how Jude deals with this because he, he, he deals it a little bit different than what Moses does in the book of Numbers. Jude, only one chapter, of course, in verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Now, notice the trinity that Jude uses here. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. The way of Cain, greedily they ran after the error of Balaam. So you got the way of Cain, the error of Balaam and the gangsang or contradiction or rebellion of Korah. Now, I love this little big book of Jude. I love it, first of all, by the way that Jude writes it. Now, most of you know, of course, that Jude was the foster brother of the Lord Jesus. You didn't know that. Jude was the foster brother of the Lord Jesus, and so was James, the little book that is named after James. But one thing I love about these brothers is neither one of them actually used that to their favor in any way. That's right. So Jude, whenever he wrote this about him, he does not even call himself an apostle. So Jude never looked at it because he was raised in the same house that Jesus was. These boys, of course, being the sons of, of, their, of their father, Joseph, that they did not feel like that coming out of that family, that it gave them an advantage. Now, here's real people that's got the Holy Ghost. They don't take their, you know, well, my daddy was a brother, and my uncle's grandfather, you know, gave him a stick of candy one day. My great aunt, she done this and done that and the other, and they want some type of recognition because of it. Well, praise the Lord. Jude does not identify. You'd never even know if you didn't know history. You'd never even know that Jude was raised in the same house as Jesus Christ. Now, it was Jude, it was James, it was some of the other men that the Bible calls him uh, Jesus' brethren, and that they did not believe in him because they told him and said why don't you go on up because is it now not your time because the Bible said they did not believe in him so James did not believe in him Jude did not believe in him and neither did the other foster children that was raised in the house of the Lord Jesus now can you imagine being raised there and seeing this child that is so different from anybody else you've ever seen in your life and you still don't know who he is 
Well, praise the Lord. Notice he does not call himself a great man. He does not call himself an apostle. He does not call himself a prophet. As a matter of fact, he refers to the apostles himself in verse 17. And he says, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ told us. So notice Jude as he finds his position as being one subservient or under the headship of the apostles called apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude does not look at himself and say, hey, 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 here. I'm one of the family members. I get special treatment. Y'all going to look to me. Y'all going to look to me and James and all the rest of We was raised in the house. He was raised in. Ah, da, 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 no, 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 no. The Holy Ghost will take all that out of you. Jude had the Holy Ghost and James had the Holy Ghost. Now notice as, as they approach this in writing of this, their family relationship is never used in order to gain them respect among the people and both James and Jude actually called themselves servants of Jesus Christ. So they don't put themselves on a basis that somehow Jesus owes them something you know and Moses received the Ten Commandments so then Moses too sons are you know the the proceeds will be split down in thirds uh, because it's Moses Ten Commandments and then his two sons own a third of the Ten Commandments that's a bunch of nonsense the Ten Commandments belong to God well let me tell you who this message belongs to it belongs to the bride people can try to claim ownership to it all they want to I refuse to accept that they can try to put us under their thumb and control us and tell us what to do. I mean, nothing but a denominational demon right out of the pits of hell. Well, preach, Brother Donnie. Now notice then, even when they identify themselves by their behavior and when they write, they never actually exalt themselves above the rest of the believers, but they simply, Brother Gene, place themselves among the believers just as other believers. So they wasn't looking for special favors, special titles, or any type of special, well, hallelujah. My Bible still tells me it's a sin to have respect of persons. Amen. Now they sever themselves, totally sever themselves from being raised in the same house that Jesus was raised in. And they do not by any means use it as a way to, as leverage, to get them a spot among the early church believers. But they just put themselves on exactly the same basis and call themselves servants of Jesus Christ. Well, praise God. Now, notice how Jude, when he writes this, he does not approach it now. My brother's sermons, you, you, you bunch up. My brother, I, you all dumb. Jude is rebuking them because of the love for truth. He's not saying my half-brother, my foster brother, my this or that or the other. It's his love for truth. No 
notice Jude as he identifies and what by this time in the, in the church and the stage of the first church it has already been some decades now that has gone by by the time Jude writes this and he actually tells us to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints again you never even know that this was the foster brother of Jesus just by reading the book of Jude because his intent his desire his purpose his goal of everything is to see the church of the living God with the same zeal same desire same everything that the apostles had now he had already seen part of that falling away so he said I I feel in my heart that I should write to you that you need to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints and now by this time something was already happening so there was already things moving among them and there was people that was raising up questioning the authority of the original apostles now notice the trinity by which Jude writes this I'll point it to you again woe unto them that have gone in the way of Cain ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the game saying of course so apparently he saw a spiritual parallel between the church in the wilderness and the garden of Eden and he saw that same thing running right down in this first church age when people had already started kicking against the apostolic authority given to these men by Jesus himself. Now, I hope you understand when Dathan, Korah, Byram, and on were questioning Moses and Aaron, they were not so much questioning them, they were questioning God's divine order. God never calls any man to make him a dictator or a king over God's people, right? But God does have an order of protocol. Now, whether or not we understand that, that's entirely up to you. But yet Jude, uh, Jude actually, when he brings this around the tree, he places such a, a focus on what these first century people were doing that he identifies it as murderer, covetousness, rebellion against the authority of God. This is what happens when people will begin to do it. You understand when people are blasting Brother Branham and saying Brother Branham took upon himself to be a prophet and he took upon himself to be this and that and the other they are questioning God's choice Brother Branham never desired to be a prophet no true God called man ever even desires to be that it's them that ain't called that want to be something so whenever they were questioning and they were questioning the placing of God's authority so all true authority comes from the presence of God you find even in the New Testament where that they wrote to them to honor the king and to submit themselves to magistrates and so on is that right? the, the word of God does not teach us to become lawbreakers until the law breaks the word if the law breaks the word then we stand with the word first but many folks think in their mind that the word teaches them to be rebellious and and to be against all government against all laws that's not the scripture my friends so authority true authority is given by God whether it's in the church whether it's in the home whether it's in the land is that right but it's always Satan that kicks against it. And those who must exercise that authority, there will always be those that are chosen to be of higher rank and there'll be some that'll be passed over and that's where the problem will come. Because you've always got ones that feel like they are so gifted and they are so qualified, but the main problem is God does not agree with their diagnosis of themselves. 
That's right. Now, it's the same thing here with Dathan, Corin, and Abiram. Now, what's amazing to me is when I look at this and I see the parallel, that Jude, when he picks this up, that he also sees in the hierarchy of God that whenever Michael was disputing over the body of Moses, that the Bible says that he did not say that Michael did not rebuke him, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. Now, you find this amazing because Satan by this time had fallen from his position, but there was still an order to protocol, even though that Michael was in his original position and Lucifer had fallen from his. Now, hold, hold on to your seat. But do you realize that Michael would not stand there and say, I rebuke you. I rebuke you. He did not do it that way. Look in your Bible. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. Why? Because the protocol given to Lucifer and his creation, even though he failed, he still maintains an element of that angelic hierarchy. Boy, some of you are looking at me funny now. But it's the truth. I want you to notice now, though, what the new birth, amen, what the new birth does to sons and daughters of God that we no longer stand there. And it's no wonder that the prophet said a son has more authority in heaven than an angel of God that Michael would not rebuke Lucifer but if we're called of God to lay hands on the sick and cast out devils I don't have to say the Lord rebuke you Satan but I as a servant of God others of you that are servants of God you can stand here on this earth in a realm that the angels could never do that have to say the Lord said this and the Lord said that but by the baptism of the Holy Ghost and sonship that has been restored to us we can stand on the earth and speak directly to Satan and say Satan in the name of Jesus I rebuke you take your hands off of God's son take your oh hallelujah take your hands off of God's daughter you are trespassing on God's property can't you receive why the New Testament brings a new order to divine protocol hallelujah to God it restores the sons and daughters of God back to their authority that they had before Adam ever fell in the beginning thank you Lord Jesus oh when I saw that I about have a fit praise be to God Now you see, Michael himself did not stand there and rebuke Satan. But look at what the New Testament, the church, has the authority to do. Praise God. The prophet said, the army of the devil puts sickness on the people of God, and the army of God takes it off. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Any two on earth agree is touching one thing. It shall be done. If you abide me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thine heart. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in hell, even as thy soul prosper. Oh, hallelujah. Let's just go ahead and have church here tonight. What do you say? Don't you see what God has placed us back to as sons and daughters of God? We have authority as men. Oh, praise God. You know, when people look at one another and they get jealous of positions and they, they say the same thing, 
basically that Dathan and Korah said that you take too much upon yourself. You're trying to be this and trying to be that. Can you imagine one star looking at the sun? And that star saying its magnitude according to the magnetic core and the amount of iron that's in the core of each star. They measure them by luminosity. And the way that they, way that it catches the light and reflects it has a lot to do with the magnetic core on the inside and the iron, how it's able to capture the light and then reflect that light back. And you imagine a star that has, say, 2.3, and the higher the number is, actually the less brilliant that it is. So a star that's 7.5 is not near as bright as one that's 0.7. So the way up is truly down. So a lot of folks think the bigger name and the bigger crowd and the bigger, the bigger, the bigger, the bigger they are, actually their luminosity is reduced by each number they add in their puffiness. God don't want us to be puffer fish. He wants us to be rainbow trout. But they got a lot of puffer fish around the message and they get all blowed up. Well, come on, saints. They get all blowed up over this and that and the other. But can you imagine a star which had absolutely nothing to do with this creation? But when God made it, and it might be even bigger in size, because there are many that are much bigger in size than our sun. But yet they may be larger in size, but they have nothing in comparison as far as the luminosity that our sun does. And it has to do with by the way that they were created in the iron core and the magnesium and the different things that's on the inside of that core. So here we have a star that's hanging out there, dog star, whichever one it is, and it'd be way out there, maybe millions of light years out, and it would be massive in size. It would make our sun look like the, you know, the size of a head of a pin. And it would be so much bigger. But when the creator made that great big large star, he did not hardly put any magnesium in it, very little iron ore to the core, very little of these things which would attract the light and be able to make it to reflect. In its luminosity, it is 6.5. Oh, it's bigger, it's larger, but it don't hardly put out nothing at all. The sun puts out in a, in a matter of seconds more than it would put out and its entire existence and that star would look over at the sun and said I'm bigger than you I'm greater than you you smart aleck wow, yo, you took too much on yourself right the sun took too much on itself the sun did this on its own the sun made itself do all this the sun which has hung out there our sun for millions of years maybe even billions of years and it done that itself come on surely you don't believe that that sun did not do it. Our moon. Now what if the moon they would look at the sun and say, I've got a problem with you, son. I've got a major problem with you, smart Alex. Show off. You're so bright and so brilliant. Look at me. I, I don't even get to come out hardly till nighttime. I'm just this little humble glow. And I get divided in quarters. I get all cut up like a pumpkin pie. I get all sliced. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter. And then I get full moon. Then I go back down again. My whole life has been up and down and up. <laughs> Son, you don't ever reveal yourself in quarters. Well, no matter what them stars would say, you know what? The sun never made itself that way. It's the same way with ministries. It's the same way with musicians. It's the same way. Well, I wish somebody would preach with me tonight. It's the same way with singers. So why should we get jealous of one another? We should never do such a thing. So if God has gifted people greater than us, and no doubt he has, we should just say, thank God. I'm glad I'm 
I'm in the universe. I'm glad my luminosity may be so small compared to others, but I'm glad I got some. I got enough iron ore and enough magnesium to be able to catch so much light. Praise God. I'm going to let my little light shine. Amen. Oh my, but we know that old story. The object is to make something out of themselves. Well, praise God. Oh, we represent the people now. My, my, well, you, you take too much on yourself, Mr. Son. It ain't right. Us stars don't even get to come out at nighttime. People can stand out there in daylight and they look towards you. You'll put their eyes out. Why do you even see us? They got to have a great old big long telescope. And they got to look out there. And here we are amongst all the rest of them. Nobody knows our name. Nobody shakes our brilliant star hand. Smart Alec, know-it-all son. So you reckon the sun will get up in the morning discouraged and say, I'm just so down. I'm just so down. I've been so criticized and ridiculed because I'm so bright and so fiery and I'm just on fire. I'm just, well, son, why don't you tone down? I can't. I can't. I didn't turn myself on. I can't turn myself off. I can't turn myself up. I can't turn myself down. The great creator is what made me what I am. Shine with all my luminosity. I'm gonna have critics, I'm gonna have folks that ain't gonna like me, other stars is gonna be jealous, but I'm gonna be what the Lord God made me. He made me to be a son. Well, I'm gonna tell you tonight, Happy Valley, the Lord God made me to be a son of God. I'm gonna shine, I'm gonna bubble, I'm gonna light, I'm gonna burn because it's what my father made me. So if you want to sing me a song after church, you can. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Now I think I really know who you are. But you see, their envy is based upon selfishness, not the interest of the body. And Jude was dealing with the same thing. Of course, they come and question Paul's apostolic authority. They question Peter, all the rest of them. Notice this in the Smyrna Church Age. I know you're familiar with this. All over the world, in both Pentecostal and fundamental groups, they're organizing the businessmen. They've invaded the pulpit without a call from God. They have styled themselves the fishers of men and the founders of a move of God. They say the gifted ministry of Ephesians 4, 10 to 13, that God gave the church has failed. So they are taking over and pushing play. Here we are right in the midst of the fulfillment of prophecy. Wow. Called the gainsayings of Korah. So Brother Branham, don't say here we are in the middle of prophecy. These preachers ain't playing my tapes, so they're all Korah. But he likened businessmen, which are not called of God, getting in the pulpit, saying that preachers had failed. 
So if the preachers have failed, they've got to have an alternative to offer in the place of the preachers. Oh my, I, I, don't, I don't understand why in the world you folks get so quiet. You might as well say, man, they've done took your picture on that camera. You're already identified here tonight. <laughs> you might as well say, man. Here we are right in the midst of the fulfillment of prophecy called the gainsayings of Korah. And they don't even know that they have fulfilled it. They are blindly going on preaching experience for truth. May God have pity on them. May their eyes be open before it is too late. So a person can go on believing this, that the God called ministry has failed, and they will cross a point, a line of no return. Oh, listen to me. When did the prestige of money, of social leadership, business ability, or sheer mental prowess ever qualify a man for spiritual leadership or give any weight to the Word of God? Come on, saints. And when in any way materiality or human values begin to show as the media by which God works instead of the Holy Spirit alone, then we are fighting against God, not for Him. Oh my. Now, it is a great mistake to think every member of the body of Christ is called to the same preeminence when it comes to position. Now, not being in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we're all the same. As far as the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's why Paul would say, in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. But when it comes to the pulpit, there is. When it comes to being deacons, there is. That's why none of our deacons wear dresses. Praise the Lord. Right? But in Christ Jesus, when it comes to standing on the plain of Calvary before his mercy seat and his throne, a woman has the same right to ask God for things as a man does. Well, praise God. A man ain't got no more before the throne of God than a woman does. Come on, sisters. They have the same rights. They're born of the same Spirit of God, brought right back to the original creation of the Word, just like a man is. But when it comes into position, then we have to look at it and say, okay, then that Scripture must also dovetail with this Scripture. So this is why your pastor's name is not Donna. Or Donita. Ooh. Donnie, friends. Oh my, can you imagine Brother Jimeline Whitson? Delondia Orndorff. Georgie Hamblin. Scott Cena. Oh no, that'll never happen here. Why? Because when it comes to position and when it comes to the state of authority, God has called man to run the church. Right? Now that's, you can call it male, show this, call it whatever you want to, but that's God, not me. So if you're going to get mad at somebody, get mad at the Almighty, not me. I'm just carrying out his protocol on the earth. And Happy Valley said, now, so then whatever we see that God raised up Moses, God raised up Aaron, and with that, it caused great jealousy. Now, with that big old foundation, let's go back to Numbers chapter 17, verse 1. Now, after this rebellion, then God reconfirms his choice as priest. Now, what's amazing is God does not reconfirm his choice 
of who the prophet is. Oh, Lord. Number 17, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods. Write thou every man's name upon his rod, and thou shalt write Aaron's Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. Now, wait a minute. How come Moses' name is not being written on the rod of Levi? I thought it was Moses' position that was the, that they're trying to get rid of the prophet and shut the prophet up. And well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. My, my. God knew Moses would not have a successive prophetic ministry. That there'd be one prophet follow him and another prophet follow him and another prophet follow him and another prophet follow him. We don't believe in apostolic succession. Neither do we believe in prophetic succession. But God knew there would be an Aaronic succession that would come down through priesthood. Now there's only going to be one Moses. And there's only going to be one Brother Branham. Oh, we've had a lot that wish they was him. We've had a lot that wish they had their anointing. I even knew men back in Pentecost that said they had his anointing. Well, I didn't have his anointing. What God left me was his message. Of course, when some of them found out I come to the message, they didn't want nothing to do with me because they knew I'd tell what they was getting some of their sermons. So I'd rather have the message he left than the anointing that was on him to pray for the sin. Oh, that's well and good. Praise God for that. God never promised another Malachi 4, another Malachi 4, a Malachi 4 and a half, a Malachi 4 and 5 eighths, a Malachi 4 and 9 16, a Malachi 4 and 11 16, and a Malachi 4 and 3 quarters. No, he promised one Malachi 4. And then he promised believers that would follow that Malachi 4 and become what Malachi 4 preached. That's me. That's you. Now notice, so God tells, this is God now. I hope you understand this. This is an ideal, perfect example of one man leadership. People think one man leadership is one man doing it all. One man leadership is one man receiving the revelation for the age and then imparting to others under his leadership what God wants them to do. That's what Jesus is doing to the apostles. Jesus was a New Testament example of one man leadership, which did not mean Jesus was going to preach himself in every generation. (laughs) But he would send out his apostles. He would pray for them and pray for those of us that would believe them. That is God's projection of one man leadership. Now notice in number 17, verse 4, and thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and it will make to cease from me 
the murmurings of the children of Israel whereby they murmur against you. So they were murmuring against one man leadership. But the man's name on the rod was not the one man they were murmuring against. Friends, it proves people in this message do not understand one man leadership. This is your Bible. Now, if you try to take quotes and make Brother Branham say something contrary to the scripture, you're making him a false prophet. Oh, my goodness. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece. And for each prince, one according to their father's houses, even twelve rods. And the rod of... Now, where's Moses' rod? Moses has one. I thought they were trying to shut him up and stop him and totally slam him down to when they're going, they want his position. You need to reread your Bible and take that lying message filter you've got off you've received from liars around this message. Ooh, Jesus, help us, Lord. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord and the tabernacle. Witness. Now, let me, let me bring to you just a little bit about these rods so you'll, you'll thoroughly understand them. The rods were actually, and of course this, this one, at least of Aaron, was an, from an almond tree. Now, it was, these rods would be handed down from generation to generation to generation. So Aaron didn't just go out once Aaron, you know, become a, a priest. He went out and cut down an almond tree or went over and sawed off one and, you know, kind of took the bark off of it. But Aaron's rod actually would have come from his father, which would have come from his father which would have come from his father, which would have come from his father. So it was something that would have been passed down from one generation to the other. So with being the recipient of this rod was a sign of your authority. So it would have been like from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to Joseph. On down then it would have come. So these men that had these rods, they were standing there representing their father. So whenever they brought these rods in there, it was hundreds of years of history. So genealogy, it was representation of the tribe. So this one rod that Aaron had was a representation of the entire tribe of Levi. So then Issachar, whoever represented him, and Dan, and Zebulun, and all the rest of them. So when they would bring this in there, think of all the history that was being laid down in the presence of God. So it made this so real to the bearer of this rod, and he could think in his mind, my God is the same God who brought my fathers across the Red Sea. This is not something brand new. This is something that is handed down to me. I've got hundreds of years of history in this rod. And it was handed down from one generation. I'll tell you one thing, friends. That's why you ain't going to take the rod of God away from the God called men in this hour. Because our rod was not given to us by Brother Brandon. Our rod was not given to us by our mama, our daddy, our aunt, our uncle. But the rod of God, the call of God placed upon us. Amen. Has been come back from to the foundation of the world. Our inheritance from the children of Israel in the wilderness is identified and our rod and our authority. Praise be to God. Amen. So they were representative of an entire tribe. That's why they didn't have 500 million rods or 10,000 rods. How many they had? They had 12. 
That's all they needed. All of the children of Israel were identified by 12 rods. So a rod was a representative of a position also of authority. So it represented every man then in the tribe. So his tribe is identified. So here they come, they bring them rods and they lay them right there in the presence of God. Every soldier in a regiment was represented in that rod. Every cook that followed the army along was represented. Oh boy, I'm about to get into something. Don't you understand what God, amen. When God allowed, don't you know and see my brother, sister, that when Muhammad laid his rod in the presence of God, whenever uh, Shintuism and all these other things, don't you understand the only rod that God raised from the dead was his choice, Jesus Christ? Where is Muhammad? His body is still in the grave. Where is Harry Krishna? His rod is still in the grave. Where's all the rest of these founders still in the grave? But where is the rod of God? Set it on the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. God allowed his rod to also die. But he lay right there in the presence of God. And God said, I'll prove which one is mine. I'll raise him from the dead. So the rod is a sign of personal authority as well, as well as tribal authority because the man who received the rod bore the authority of the whole tribe. So it's by representation. So Aaron's rod that budded was a foreshadowing of the resurrection of the rod of God. Amen. Praise God. Don't you love him? Now, notice this in Numbers chapter 17, verse 8. And it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, whose rod? Where's Moses' rod? Now, listen, friends, when it comes to this side of the divine protocol of God, Moses was identified in Aaron's rod. That's why Brother Benham could listen to Brother Neville preach and get all kinds of text. Oh, I know some of y'all think he was just being humble. He was being honest. That's why Brother Branham would refer to Brother Neville as our pastor. Brother Branham was smarter than a lot of message folks. They've been going to church for 75 years and they never, never have had no pastor. Oh, they've sat under 57 different pastors, but they never have really had a pastor because they're their own pastor. Well, preach, Brother Donnie. Now, actually, we see the rod of Aaron on supernatural display before this time, and they should have known by now that God had already identified it. Notice this in Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show me a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron. Now, watch one-man leadership, how it works. So God is talking to this man, Moses. Right? When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, show me a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. So one man leadership was God speaking to the prophet of the age and the ministry under Moses, well, praise God, is doing what the prophet told him to do. 
Well, friends, I'm sorry y'all didn't know this is in the Bible, but it's right there as plain as black and white. And Moses and Aaron went in into Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had committed. And Aaron cast down before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became us. Aaron is doing this? Aaron is doing miracles? Well, praise God. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpent. But, what's your Bible say? Aaron's rod swallowed up. This is why I've got to whoop these serpent preachers. That's why we got to preach against sin, Brother Terry. This is why we got to strike out against unbelief. It ain't just the prophet that does it. Notice verse 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, one man leadership, take thy rod and stretch thine hand out upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, and all their pools of water, that they may become blood, that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so. One man leadership. So here God tells Moses, you go over and tell Aaron to take his rod. Where's Moses' rod? Lord, have mercy, I'm going to be crucified sure as a world. For preaching the Bible. Friends, this is God's word. So God tells Moses, the one man, and he tells Aaron, and they both obey God. But God didn't tell God didn't tell Moses to do it. God told Moses to tell Aaron to do it, and they both obeyed God, and they were both under the headship of one man leadership. Don't you understand when we obey the word of God? Oh, oh, it's Brother Donnie this, brother. It ain't Brother Donnie. As long as Brother Donnie's doing what the word says and what the message teaches, you're not obeying Brother Donnie. You're obeying God. If I'm doing what the message teaches, it's still one man leadership. Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river on the side of Pharaoh on the side of his servants and all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. Who done this? Aaron. Chapter 8 verse 5. And the Lord said unto Moses. Now God, why don't you tell Moses? Why don't you just bypass Moses and just tell him, now look, you know what, Moses? I'm not sure I even need you anymore. I think really, you know, this middleman situation is it's kind of troublesome to me. So what I'm going to do, Moses, is get you out of the way, and I'm just going to talk to the pastor myself, and I'll just give him this revelation of this and that and the other, and it don't have to line up with the word, and it don't have to line up. No. Oh, why don't God tell Aaron himself? Because Aaron ain't a prophet. So when preachers or whoever more get all these wild, fangdangled revelations as contrary to the word of God, I've only got one thing to say. Liars. 
going to tell no man. I don't care what he calls it, what he brands it. He ain't going to tell no man contrary to what the scripture says and what he's already said to his vindicated prophet. He can't do it. Oh my. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, stretch forth thine hand. You mean, you mean it was not the hand of Moses? That was doing all these miracles? Well, Brother Donnie, I always thought, ah, now we found the problem. Stretch forth thine hand, oh my, with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up from the land of Egypt. You mean Aaron is doing this? And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs come up and covered the land of Egypt. Verse 16, and the Lord said unto Moses, say unto Aaron, stretch out thy rod and smite the dust of the land that it might become lice throughout the land of Egypt and they (laughs) so God tells Moses Moses tells Aaron and they did so what this is God's way you understand? This is God's way. This is why, friend, that when people give us so-called revelations and they don't line up to the word, forget it. Oh, they'll try to hold you under fear. They'll try to scare you. Forget it. If it don't line up to the word of God, forget it. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod. Well, I wonder what would happen if he had said, now, you know what, Moses? I'll tell you what, I believe this would be a greater miracle, actually, if I'd use your rod. Now, you've got one, you've got to stick there because you've you done told us what God done with it up there in the mountain up there. So I'll tell you what, I believe it would be better if I'd take your rod. God specified Aaron's rod. So look, brother, if you ain't got nothing but a two-by-two switch, use it, it's yours. Leave the prophet's rod alone. A lot of folks trying to make themselves this and that and the other, and they're trying to pick up a big club. They ain't got enough sense to even know which way to use. They don't even know which way to turn it. Come on now. Use that little switch that God gives you. You'll be a whole lot better off. Use an ox goat if that's what God's put in your hand. If he put a slingshot in your hand, go ahead and use it. It's yours. You imagine Aaron could stand up there by the chair with absolute confidence because God told the prophet under one man leadership, tell Aaron to use his rod. Amen. Amen. When David come up there to face the Philistine that day and Saul said, here, use my rod, use my rod, use my rod. David said, I ain't proved this thing. I ain't proved this thing. I don't know nothing about this, but I'm going to take out there what I know. This is my anointing. This is my call. This is what I'm supposed to do. I can't be Brother Tim. I can't be Brother Mike. Christ. I can't be Brother Terry, but I want to take my rod. It may be little. It may be small, but I got confidence in what God's put in my hand. Oh, praise God. And they did so for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth and it became lice in man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Why was these people questioning? So God tells Moses. Back to number 17, 8. On the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron 
for the house of Levi. Praise God. So when the rod budded, Aaron budded. When the rod budded, the Levites budded. Don't you understand when God raised our almond rod on the third day, when he budded, we budded. When he got up from the dead by the skip, we rose with him in that spiritual resurrection. God let him die. Oh, he was so dead till the sun hit his face. He was so dead that the earth went into nervous prostration. God wanted to let him die so he could prove this is my choice. Amen. Show me Muhammad tonight. Show me Harry Krishna. Show me a lot of the false prophets that have lived around this message and have died. Show me where they are. But brother, sister, I'll point you tonight to a resurrected almond rod of God. How do you know he's raised, brother Donnie? I've just seen him moving among us. Hallelujah. He heals our sick. He raises the dead. He casts out devils. Harry Krishna came to that. Muhammad came to that. The rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded, brought forth buds, bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. Three pulls on the same rod. Now, what's amazing is that when Moses walks in there, that he sees this rod in these three successive stages. <laughs> which you'll never find in nature. Let me read you this. I know it's time to close, but I ain't, I ain't closed. The almond, the almond has its Hebrew name, awake. From the well-known fact of it being the first of all trees to awake from the death of winter. Praise God. So the word almond means awake. <laughs> it rises. It's the first one to rise with resurrection life, testifying there's more to come. Amen. The spring is coming right behind me. Oh, Lord have mercy. He's the first tree to be able to rise. Glory be to God. Amen. It flowers in the month of January. And by March, it brings forth this fruit to maturity. Now look, it spans over January, February, and March. Three months. But when Moses walks in there, he sees January, February, and March all in one display. First pull, second pull, third pull, leading to the climax of the rapture. Praise be to God. Justification, sanctification, baptism with the Holy Ghost. And some folks say, well, we don't need sanctification no more. Yes, we do. We still need it working in our lives, brother, sister. Oh, my. So this name was given to the almond tree to signify its status in botany life. It's the first one to awake. So it was the first one that was laying there asleep in the winter that raised from the dead. This day, and I ain't got time to go through all the rest of it. Praise be to God.
imagine humanly, Brother Terry, there was great excitement in Moses' heart. But in, a, in another way, you can't keep from wondering if he wasn't kind of, oh, no, I knew it'd be this way. Oh, boy. So he brings out all these rods. And he brings out Aaron's, which has the buds, the blossoms, and the almonds. This miracle was so profound and so convinced the children of Israel that they needed preachers. They never questioned it one more time. It's not in the scripture, nor can you find it in history that they ever question Aaron's position again. <laughs> How did God prove it? By the resurrection. Well, I'm going to jump over here and read you something I got to. Brother Ben said, why they tossed about? Jump over a couple pages there, Brother Eric. They took Aaron's rod and laid Aaron's rod in the presence of this holy place. And when they did, in one night's time, it budded blossomed and yielded almonds in one night's time. Think of it. In the presence of God, this old dead rod lying there in the presence of God budded, blossomed and yielded almonds in one night. What was it then? What kind of rod was it? It was an almond tree. Now probably with the bark gone off of it and looking at it, it'd be very hard to distinguish it from any other kind of tree, but the resurrection proved what it was. You was an old dead dried up stick in the world. You look like all the rest of them old dead dried up sticks. But you got in the presence of God. <laughs> Amen. What did it do? It proved who you were. It proved you come from the tree of life. Blessed be the Lord. Notice he said that's what it taken from the stick was off of an almond tree. And you are a stick of some kind. You was taken off the branch of humanity which God's created son at the beginning. You may be fallen, dead, alienated from God. But by that in creation you were created to be a son of God. You may bounce around and be respected and honored out there in the courts. But if you ever get into that glorious place and hide away in God, you'll yield what you're supposed to yield. Brother Donnie, reckon how long it'll take me? 40 years, 50 years, 80, 175 years? Well, let me read you this one too. If you've accepted Christ sincerely and you believe it, then brothers come into the holiest of holies and you'll yield the fruits of the Spirit. In 24 hours, a stick that was dead, lived, blossomed, yielded blossoms and almonds in 24 hours. Let a man or a woman that don't believe in the supernatural, let a man and a woman that can't believe the days of miracles. Lord have mercy, somebody hold my mules while I'm shouting. Let them hide behind the holiest of holies and the veil of God's Son will drop behind them in the world in less than 24 hours. They'll believe every word of God's is the truth. Amen. You imagine in less than 24 hours they can have that kind of transformation. Why don't people get it that way? They won't let go. Can you imagine a person which can't even believe in the supernatural? They cannot even believe all of God's word. But in less than 24 hours, they can be so changed, they can believe every word of God. Every word. 
I was going to save this for next Wednesday night, but it's too good. I may read it again next Wednesday. <laughs> Let's that curtain drop between them and the world. In less than 24 hours, they'll believe every word of God's word is the truth. Amen. The reason you don't go in behind the veil and say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I'm taking in good goodness. Oh, my. You're in the outer courts. Come in and hide away. I'm not yelling at you. Well, I am at you, though. I'm only trying to let you see what's the truth. Then visions will be nothing for you. Then the presence of God. You'll walk sweetly with the Lamb of God every day. You're living in the presence of the King every day. Every hour. Well, I've done running next Wednesday night sermon, so I'm going to read these other scriptures. And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto the children of Israel. And they looked and took every man his rod. Now, here they have to look at this one man among twelve who's budded, blossomed, and had almonds. And they had to take theirs back the same way they gave it to the prophet. Which proved they were not gifted after all. It would have saved them this embarrassment. This humiliation. They could have bypassed this. But their pride, their arrogance of wanting to be something that God had not called them to be. Oh my. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels. And thou shalt quite take away their murmurings for me that they die not. And Moses did so as the Lord commanded him. So did he. Isn't it amazing? When they carried the Ark of the Covenant, it was not the rod of Moses. It was the rod of Aaron. Showing the ones God had chosen to minister to the people. Laugh at preachers if you want to. Make fun of them. Ridicule them if you want to. They are God's choice. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray tonight, Lord, that you'd take these simple things. May each of us learn a very important lesson. As I likened us to stars, Lord, in the heavens. Lord, we can only be what you have made us to be. At our zenith, at our heights, whenever we finally have arrived to that spot, of adoption, placing of sons, and by that I don't mean in the millennium, but I mean us coming to our fullness, Lord, receiving the token life. Lord Jesus, whenever I look at the apostles, I see them receiving the Holy Ghost. They did not have to go prove themselves now for another six months or six years or ten years or fifteen years to see how they'd do, but they come out of the upper room filled with the Holy Ghost 
And you put them on display within an hour after they were born again. Lord, help us to see many of the things that we're placing off in the future and looking for a way down the road somewhere. It's happening right among us. Many of these saints, they know they're not preachers. They know they're not called to be that. But somehow they're longing and waiting for some something or another that they think is going to happen down the road. And here they stand tonight with the true baptism of the Holy Ghost. Even a greater miracle than a person receiving their blinded eyes opened. I don't know why we do it this way, Lord. But we look at someone receiving their eyes opened or maybe their eyes are crossed and you would straighten them out. And we share that testimony and we shout and we get so emotional. But maybe within two days that person's eyes will be rotting because they died with a heart attack. So what happened to that miracle? We hear a testimony. Well, where, where, where is that person? Well, they, they died with a heart attack. Uh, they, they stepped out in front of a car and they, they were run over. So what do we have left? The testimony of a miracle that God did. And yet here we are living every day of our lives with a supernatural, the greatest miracle that you could do upon the earth. Giving us a new birth. And we downplay it and we look at it like it's some little old measly something or another. But yet, Lord, and all those that have been healed with cancer, all of those, dear Father, that have received supernatural miracles, if they go on in time and live long enough, they'll get sick again, they'll die if the rapture don't take them. So which is the longer, most enduring miracle? Opening the eyes of the blind naturally? Or opening spiritual eyes which are blind to the Word of God. If a person would die right here in this service tonight, and we, by the grace of God, would be able to pray for them, and you would restore their life, that would be a wonderful thing. It would be, we would testify the supernatural power of God's among us. But if one here tonight don't have the Holy Ghost, and they're able to receive it here tonight, Father, which is the greater miracle? Why is it that we look at those visible things and we tend to make them so great and we rejoice and oh my, we just, we, we should rejoice. But then when we see you do the greatest of all miracles and we look at our own lives, oh God, I'm nothing, I'm just kind of struggling along. There shouldn't be a day go by that we don't thank you for our greatest miracle, the new birth. Help us, Father. We love you, Lord. May you help each of us, Father God that we can find our rod. We can find our position. The one you wrote our name on. The one you gave us. May we not look at it through eyes of arrogance or pride. Father God, may we look at it with thankfulness in our hearts. May we not be jealous of those who have a rod that might be more brilliant or stewer than ours. But may we accept ours as these men had to accept theirs. If they'd have had an understanding, they could have called back the miracles that you had done with the rod of Aaron. You hadn't done that with theirs. It was all in their mind and Satan had anointed their mind to make them think they were something. But you had not testified of none of those men. You testify of your gifts. A real preacher don't have to go around calling everybody to get doors open. You open the doors. 
A real preacher don't have to tread on other men and run them down to try to make himself something. No, Lord. Help us, I pray tonight, Father. We love you, Lord. How many here tonight with me and those that are streaming will say by the uplifting of your hand, Brother Donnie, I want my place. I want my rod. Whatever God has wrote my name on, if it's to be a housewife, to not be a preacher, to not be a deaconess, or to be something else, if it's to be a housewife and to pray for you and to pray for the other ministries and raise my children and be the right kind of wife and all of that, that's what God's placed me to be. That's all I want to be. I don't want to try to over-spiritualize my life and cause you all kinds of problems because I, I think I'm greater than what I am. I just want to find my rod and make sure my name is on it. Praise God. What about it, brothers? You want to raise your hands as well? What about it, minister brothers that hear this service? We don't want to be jealous of this man or that man because he's bigger than us or greater than us, as we'd say. Have a larger church or a larger following. What difference does that make? It means he's going to answer to God for a greater responsibility. Let us just find our rod and make sure it is our name on it and do our very best to carry it out. And let the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus work in your calling. And let him express it himself supernaturally. This could not be done naturally. There's no way you could do this in a laboratory. There's no way you could allow a scientist to do this. God proved it. You imagine Brother Terry, and he walked out with that, and they see January, February, and March all on one rod. You'd never find that in nature because it would go from the buds and then the bud stage would pass and you'd go to the blossoming flowers and that would pass and then you would go to the almonds. They had never seen this before. Praise God. Oh, praise God. Would you do me a favor? Would you turn and lay hands on the person standing by you? Can we just offer a word of prayer? For that brother or sister that's standing by us. If you feel uncomfortable, if it's just sister, brothers, and it's not your wife or someone you feel uncomfortable, just move out if you'd like to, to another place to pray for someone. You're not praying for yourself, but they're praying for you. Let's pray that God will help us as the believers to find our place. To lay aside jealousy. To lay aside if someone's a better singer than you or a better musician than you or maybe they get more acknowledgement than you do. What, what difference does that make? Let's just pray for one another, shall we? Heavenly Father's believers, we join our faith together, Lord, in the promise of your word. We, we know that you called Enoch up by himself. You called Elijah up by himself in their own private rapture. But we know that our rapture, Lord, when it comes, it's going to be the gathering, the resurrection in a two-phase. It will happen, the resurrection of those that have gone on and those of us that are alive. So, Father, we're not going to have a private rapture. We're going together. So, Lord, the bride around the world must be complete. She must be in her, her matured state. So, Father, it's not like that I can come to my state and when I get ready, I'm raptured. And then Brother Terry will come to his state or Brother Terry may come before me and, and then, then we'll go one at a time, one at a time. 
the Lord, the last phase of this rapture in this age will be all of your people around the world coming to that state of completion. The finale of it all, it'll be a greater miracle than Elijah or Enoch ever was. You got one man ready and took him home. But you'll be getting hundreds or thousands or whatever it will be. A supernatural miracle which has never been reproduced before and will never be reproduced again. Praise God. All around the world, they are getting ready. Because you sent one man with the last day message to gather the eagles together. And then other men out from under that go out from under that ministry and they are taught the word of God. And they begin to handle it down to this one, to that one, to the other one. The word spreads and you reach every predestinated seed and we come to our spot of maturity. And when we do, the rapture will come. Oh, Father, help us to see, Lord Jesus, it's not so much just laying aside smoking. Many of them quit that years ago. Many of them quit bobbing their hair years ago. But, Father, it's just coming to our position and abiding there. Because Satan will try his best to move us out of her place. He'll try to move a wife out of her place and, and convince her that she needs to lead her husband. Or he'll try to move a man out of his place and somehow make him think he's a super sheep. And make him feel like the pastor needs his counsel and guidance to help him run the church. Or, or make him feel like that the deacons needs his counsel to help them do this or that. Lord, help the people to realize when they step out of their place, it is not you doing that. It is the enemy. It is the very same enemy that come to Eve in the Garden of Eden when he convinced her that she could help her husband understand a little bit better. Oh my, help them, Father, to realize they've got a place to stand. And when they're in their place, nobody can take their place. They shine in their brilliance. They reflect what the gospel has done for them, Lord. I in my position, each man, each woman, each boy, each girl. Then, Lord, the universe of God displays the luminosity according to the great power of the Creator. And we're doing exactly what you wanted us to do. But oh, Father, when we move around and try to do this and help this man or help that woman, I ain't talking about bearing one another's burdens. I'm talking about trying to use what we are and add to them and help them to think we can make them do this and that. Lord, help us to find our place and just stay in our place. Lord, your prophet said it was like a well-oiled machine. When each part is just placed there and each cog turns against the other. And then the inner machine, that, that design, there's some that are small and some that are big. Some that are so small and so significant seem like. Others that are bigger and larger and they do more. But any of those that's ever rode a five-speed bicycle or ten-speed or those that would have a variable speed. And they know when they take off, they don't want to take off in high speed. But they want to take off at a speed that's comfortable and then they keep changing and changing and the faster they want to get and what do they get? They get to a smaller cog, a smaller cog, a smaller cog but as they build up that speed it's easier and easier because each one of them are designed for a certain ratio according to the crank and if they start off on the wrong one they will not get anywhere. Same with us Lord. Help us I pray to start off and be exactly what you've called us to be. Each of us just flow together we be what you want us to be Father one day we'll go home together in a rapture grant it I pray Lord Jesus thank you Heavenly Father oh thank you Lord Jesus oh don't you appreciate his grace tonight friends don't you love one another don't you love the people of God the family of God
Can you understand tonight why God will always have people that can out-sing you, out-preach you, out-preach me, you know, out-quote us? That's just God's design. It's the way that God does it. We are getting close to the rapture when we can recognize it and thank God for it. Instead of being jealous or trying to find some fault in everything they say so we can bring them down. That's the way preachers do. That's the way singers do. Well, if you only knew them the way I knew them, you wouldn't have as much confidence in them. Uh-huh. Most of the time it's Dathan and Cora again. But when we get big enough and we can be able to recognize those that God uses greater than us, I'll tell you one thing, we're getting rapture ready. I told Brother Darrell many, many years ago, Brother Darrell, you're not fit to be used by God until you can see God use somebody greater than you in a greater way. When you're getting to that spot, then God can use you. That's why some men, God will never use them. Never. He will never use them for nothing because they think they ought to pull vault out of the gate right on the very top of the field. They ought to be the number one. God cannot stand that attitude. That was the devil's attitude that got him kicked out of heaven. Sing, Harry. Praise God. All right, now. I'm going to let it
God bless you, saints. Be encouraged in the Lord. You love him tonight for his word. God bless you. See you this weekend. Go in the fear of God. This little light of mine.